Welcome. You are listening to Sermon Audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. What happens when I die? That um, may not be the most comfortable question. And some people do not like to think about it and, and like to avoid it. But trying to avoid or ignore an unpleasant reality does not do away with that reality. You, you realize that? The doctor gives you a diagnosis of cancer. And you just think, I'm going to ignore what the doctor told me. That does not make the cancer go away. The doctor gives you a, a diagnosis of diabetes, which I received uh, uh, a few years ago, uh, type 2 diabetes. Had I just ignored it and thought, no, nah, I don't believe you. I'm going to go ahead and eat what I want to eat. What I want to eat doesn't matter. Uh, you know, I would be in a lot worse state uh, today. Uh, I still don't behave myself all the time, I'll be honest. <laughs> uh, but you can't just ignore something and make it go away. The Bible says this in Ecclesiastes. The Bible says for everything there's a season and a time for every matter under heaven. There's a time to be born and a time to die. So just as surely as you're alive right now and you have a birth date, there's a time that you're going to die, whether you like that or not. Now, the only other option would be if you happen to be a Christian, you're alive when Jesus comes back and he raptures the church out. That's the only way you're going to avoid death. But, but other than that, it's, it's appointed all of us to, to die. There's actually going to be a time of, of death. And while that may be really uncomfortable, it's something we need to think about and talk about because, you see, you need to settle the question of what happens when you die, before you die. Because after you die, there's no rewind button. After you die, it's too late to think, oh, I made a mistake, I should have trusted in Jesus. After you die, there's no reboot button, like you reboot your computer to kind of get everything fresh and and going again. After you die, there's no mulligans. How many of you play golf? How many of you love mulligans when you get the? I play about maybe once a year. So in other words, I need a lot of mulligans. You know, you know what a mulligan is? Some of you may know. A mulligan is you, you don't like the first shot or maybe even the second shot. So you take two or three mulligans until you find the shot that you like. <laughs> Mine tend to slice and go this way. I, I try and do mulligans until I hit one straight. But there's no mulligans after you die. You, you don't get to reboot or you don't get to, to respawn. That's a new term that these video gamers deal with all the time. You know, you get shot in a video game, you just respawn, you pop up and, and, and move on. Hey, in real life, you don't respawn. In, in real life, death is the ultimate game over. You, you understand that. There, there's no way to back up and change things after you die. So that's our topic today. That's where we're at in this series. What happens when you die? To begin with, you you need to recognize this. You need to understand this. What happens when you die is limited 
to two possibilities. Now, understand me saying that flies in the face of political correctness in the day that we live in. It flies in the face of conventional wisdom that our culture wants us to accept because people want it to be different. They don't like the option of only two possibilities. They don't like the option of just Jesus and no other way to heaven. That's the world that we live in today. And I want to tell you up front, I am not trying to be unpleasant with the topic today. I'm trying to be honest and truthful with you with the topic. And I hope it doesn't sound harsh as we get into some of it, but I'm just trying to be honest with you because you're going to understand one of these options is a pretty harsh option. And we need to recognize the the reality of it. I recognize that my saying there are only two possibilities also flies in the face of a lot of different religions in the world. There are philosophies in the world. Some people want to believe that somehow everybody goes to heaven. No matter what they've done, what they believe, or anything else. That's called universalism. Well, let me ask you this. If that is true, if everyone's going to heaven either way, why in the world would God put his son through what he did on the cross? A lot of world religions believe in a thing called reincarnation. That's really central to Buddhism and Hinduism. And they, they, they believe that your next state in life is kind of dependent on how well you live your life or how poor you live your life this time. And, and then you just kind of reboot or respawn into another life and into a different, uh, into a different level. If you've been really bad, you might come back as a bug. A lot of times they, you know, they, they have like sacred cows. They don't eat cows and things like that. Uh, in, in Hinduism, it, it might be grandma, you know. But that's not one of the options that we're talking about today. There's another world, quote, religion that believes if they die in jihad, Fallen after the prophet Muhammad. That their promised paradise with 72 virgins with beautiful, big, illustrious eyes. I worried you for a minute, didn't I? <laughs> By the way, that is quoted several times in the Quran. They're promised virgins with big, beautiful, illustrious eyes along with other Parts of the anatomy I'm not going to talk about. Can I ask you a question? How in the world can any religion teach and people accept that it's a religion of peace when they are being told if you go out in jihad, killing other people, murdering other people, when you die yourself in the midst of that jihad, that means you go to paradise. And you just have finished murdering people like happened in Paris this week. Does that make any logical sense to you at all? And yet that's what some people believe. More and more, though, I watch things develop. I'm almost convinced that that Islam and the Antichrist are going to be really, really tied closely together in what's lining up in the world that we, that we live in. 
Some people believe when you die that you're just dead, you're gone. There's no type of consciousness whatsoever. You, you lived, you're dead, you never exist anymore. That's what materialism believes or atheism. You know, you live, you're, you're dead, and that's it. But you see, for, for a Christian, this is our authority. And the Bible clearly teaches, our authority clearly teaches, Jesus himself clearly teaches that when we die, there are only two possibilities. The first possibility is eternity separated from God. That's the place that we refer to as hell. Eternity separated from God. There are two aspects of punishment in hell that the Bible teaches. The first one is Hades. And Hades is like the hell for now. Some translations refer to it as Hades. Some translations say hell. Some translations refer to it as the grave, also in the Old Testament. Hades being the hell for now means this. That means if someone dies lost without Jesus Christ as their Savior, the instant that they die, they go to the hell for now. And you might can kind of think of it as being in prison. But it's a really, really bad prison with a lot of punishment taking place and a lot of torment in that prison. And Jesus kind of gives us a picture of that as he talks about the rich man and Lazarus. Well, some people say, oh, that was just a parable. Well, if so, Jesus didn't call it a parable. And Jesus always said things to let us know it was a parable. Look at what he says in Luke 16. There's a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate, there was a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. A poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried and in Hades, or some translations say hell, in Hades being in torment. So, and I want to remind you several times this morning, this is Jesus talking. And I'll tell you why it's important in just a moment. But Jesus said being in torment. He lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off. So there's this distance between someone in Hades and the presence of God. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and sent Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am anguished in this flame. And Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime you received good things, and Lazarus in like manner of bad things, but now he's comforted here, and you are in anguish. Once again, Jesus talks about suffering. He talks about anguish in this place called Hades. And besides all this, between us and you, there's this great chasm that's been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from here to us. In other words, no one's coming to rescue you, minister to you, bring you water, comfort you, or anything else, because there's this distance. And he said, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house. In other words, he starts thinking, there's no hope for me. Hey, I have brothers who are alive. Somebody go tell them this place is real. 
Somebody go let them know that, that you know, not to be, to be messing around with imagining that there's no judgment. Somebody go give them a wake-up call. And so I have five brothers so that they may warn them lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither they will be convinced if someone will rise from the dead. Which, by the way, happened. Jesus rose from the dead and people are still not convinced. Jesus tells this story of these two individuals. The rich man in Hades, in the only opportunity, the hell for now, the only opportunity he will ever have to escape this place of suffering, this place of imprisonment, this place of the hell for now, Hades will be when he is brought out of Hades by God to stand before the throne of God at the great white throne judgment. And then he'll be judged and condemned because he was lost. That's why he was in Hades to start with. And then he'll be cast into the hell forever. The lake of fire, which is the word Gehenna. That's the second aspect of punishment that the Bible teaches about hell. Gehenna gives us a picture of the, of the hell that lasts forever. It gives us a picture of the lake of fire. Jesus uses the word Gehenna when speaking about hell in Mark chapter 9, verse 43 through 48. He said, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Now, what I'm about to read sounds kind of strange and kind of gross because this is the tender lamb of God talking. Once again, this is Jesus talking. Why would Jesus tell someone this? It's better for you to enter life crippled with two hands than to have two hands to go to hell. To the unquenchable fire. Once again, punishment, uncomfortable situation. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. If your eye offends you to pluck it out. Tear it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Now, I pointed out a minute ago, this is Jesus, the, the tender lamb of God. The one where we read about his life in the New Testament where he ministered to people, loved people, cared for people. Help them in their suffering, in their pain, in their torment. This is the same person who is now saying, if you have a sin in hand, you're better to cut it off than you are to go to hell. If you have a sin in foot or a sin in eye, you're better to get rid of it than you are to go to hell. What does Jesus mean there? I mean, he's not literally saying, go do that. Although I have read instances over the years of someone being in a really, really legalistic environment and they become so filled with guilt because of their, of their sin, they've actually done things like that. I read a story more than once of someone plucking their eye out because they were so remorseful and so much in guilt and they've been raised in a really legalistic situation. That's not what Jesus is saying. I think what Jesus is saying is don't let anything don't let your hand, don't let your eye, don't let your foot, don't let anything in the world whatsoever. Don't allow anything to cause you to be separated from God for all eternity. Don't let anything to cause you to go to this place called hell that Jesus himself is teaching about is a place of punishment in a place of suffering. He's saying don't let anything cause you to go there. This is Jesus, God in the flesh, who I'm assuming knows what he's talking about. 
telling us that hell is real. Jesus talked about it more times than people might be comfortable with. He tells us that hell is a real place. And I want to warn you about something. Before you start rationalizing in your mind and saying, well, I don't know about that. I really don't think hell is a real place. And I I know Jesus said it is right here. I understand he said that, but I just don't think there's such a place called hell. Before you start doing that, you need to recognize something. If you start challenging and doubting what Jesus said, you are challenging and doubting the deity of Christ. And if you challenge the deity of Christ saying, I don't believe Jesus knows what he's talking about, then how do you know he knows what he's talking about when we read John 3.16? See, he's either God and he knows what he's talking about or he's not. And Jesus clearly here gives us a warning and tells us that hell is real. And the the mental picture that Jesus has given us comes from imagery that would have been familiar to everyone there inside the walls of Jerusalem. The word Gehenna is built on the word Hinnom, which refers to the valley of Hinnom, which is a deep chasm outside the walls of Jerusalem. The, The history of that, even in the Old Testament, was that in that valley of Hinnom, The god Molech, the god of fire, had been worshipped in that place. And parents, dads and mothers would take their children and sacrifice their children in the valley of Hinnom. Burning them to death to worship the god Molech. That's Old Testament history of this valley of, of Hinnom. Children burned with fire. In the New Testament time, it became the garbage dump for the city of Jerusalem. So all the garbage, all the refuse, all the dung and things like that, all the dead animals that they could get out of the city, they would take out and dump in the valley of Hinnom. And in that garbage dump, there's a constant fire and smoke going up because they were trying to get rid of those things that were taken there, and they were set on fire. In other texts, Jesus will talk about, you'll see it in a moment ago, he, he talks about where the worm doesn't die. In other words, there, there's decaying bodies there, decaying animals there in the valley of Hinnom in that large garbage dump. He also talks about a constant smoke going up, a flame going up in that place. Jesus talks about the the dogs gnashing their teeth, gnashing of teeth taking place there. In other words, in that garbage dump, the dead animals and the garbage that are there, wild dogs would be there fighting each other, gnashing their teeth over the garbage, the food that might be left there, the dead bodies that were there. It's not a very good picture at all. It's not a comfortable place to be. You wouldn't want to go spend a few nights there. But that's the image that Jesus uses to give us the image of hell. And hell is not a place you go and just spend a few nights and get out. It's something that's eternal. It's something where their worm doesn't die, as Jesus said, and yet there's a constant consciousness. The worm doesn't die is also a phrase that was used in the Hebrew to talk about having a constant consciousness of what's taking place doesn't go away, the constant guilt, the constant suffering, the the physical pain and the emotional pain that would take place in this place called hell. Gehenna is used 12 times in the New Testament, and it's always translated by the word hell. 
Jesus used it to give us an image of what hell looks like with the gnashing of teeth, the place of torment, the place of fire, a, a place of suffering. And he and other New Testament writers speak of judgment and eternal punishment. Let me read through some passages and then we'll move on. Matthew chapter 25. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Just as real as there is eternal life for those who believe in Christ, there's a place of eternal punishment. Matthew 13, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea. And Jesus has given us this illustration and gathered fish of every kind. And when it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. Then Jesus said, so it will be at the close of the age. He said, the angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace in that place where there will be weeping and, and gnashing of teeth. Matthew chapter 22, but when the king came in to look at his guests, he's talking about this, uh, this wedding party and you had to have certain garments on in order to be there. And the king had invited his guests to come in, but he saw a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called, but few are chosen. I want to remind you of something again. Jesus is the one saying all of this. I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm not trying to be uncomfortable. But Jesus is the one that's saying this. For Jesus, the tender lamb of God, to say this, it's, it's something that we need to pay attention to. Keep reading. Luke, he said to him, someone come up asking Jesus, said, Lord, will... Those who are saved be few. And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, then you'll begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out and people will come from the east and the west, from the north and the south, and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, there are some last who will be first and some or first who will be last. And Jesus is talking to Jews, and he's saying, look, there's going to be some outside the Jews who are going to be welcome. He's talking about the Gentiles. He's talking about us. And then he said, when you've missed it, when you have failed to trust in me, and you're in this place of eternal punishment, you're going to be gnashing your teeth because you were so distraught because you, you've missed my presence forever. Paul writes these words in Second Thessalonians. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. He's writing about Jesus. Inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. 
When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you is believed. Jesus and other New Testament writers talk about a place of eternal punishment. What happens when we die? There are only two possibilities. One is eternity separated from the presence of God. One is a place of suffering and pain that Jesus himself described. I'm thankful there's another option, aren't you? Because the second option is this. Instead of being separated from the presence of God forever, the second option is to be in eternity with God is the second option. Instead of being separated from God in a place of eternal punishment and suffering, the second option for those who trust Christ as their Savior is to be in God's presence with Him for all eternity. Jesus said this, Let not your hearts be troubled. In other words, the kind of stuff I just talked to you about, the things you might worry about, what might come in the future, what might happen when you die, and everything like that, Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. He said, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, some translations say, or many rooms. I'm not going to quibble about that either way. The word can be translated either direction, mansions or rooms, either one. I will tell you this, if I'm in heaven with Jesus, being in a room is fine with me. It's a whole lot better than hell. Amen? If it weren't I so, I would have told you, I've got to prepare a place for you where we can be with him in his presence for all eternity. And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am there, you may be also. And, and you know the, where I'm going, you know the way that I'm going. But Thomas, once again, the, gets blamed for being down in Thomas all the time. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way. And if you've been around here very long, you've heard me say this before. The reason I've underlined the word the is that in in the Greek, the word the is not just like the in our English language in this particular instance. The word the means exclusively the way. Jesus said, I'm exclusively the way. He said, I'm exclusively the truth. I'm exclusively the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. He's making it really clear. He's the only way. Because we were lost sinners, Jesus comes and dies on the cross to open up a way for us into the presence of God. Because we need to hear the truth to where we can understand how to be forgiven and get to God's presence. Jesus comes as the truth for us so we can be in the presence of God forever. Jesus comes as the life for us because we're dead in trespasses and sin. And it's through Jesus and what he does for us on the cross that we can have life. He comes to give us life. John three sixteen says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish. You don't have to suffer. You don't have to perish. But instead, you can have eternal life. God gave his son to bring us to himself. First Peter 3.18. We saw this just the other week. It says, for Christ also suffered once for sins. Now, I'm going to do it multiple times. Once for sins. The righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. What happens when we die? Jesus wants to bring us into the presence of God for all eternity. The Apostle Paul writes these words in 2 Corinthians. He says, so we're always of good courage. 
We know that while we're in, uh, at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. In other words, Paul saying, while we're alive here in this world, we're away from the very presence of the Lord. But he goes on, he says, we, we're walking by faith, but not by sight. And he says, yes, we're of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and to be where? At home with the Lord. You know what happens for a Christian when he dies? I told you earlier what happens for a lost person. If a lost person dies without Jesus, their soul goes instantly to the place called Hades that we talked about, the hell for now. The only chance they ever have to get out of the hell for now is to stand before the great white throne of judgment and then be cast in the hell forever, forever for all the time. But for a Christian, the moment a Christian dies, they go instantly into the presence of the Lord. They don't sleep in the grave. It's not so sleep or anything like that. Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So whether we're at home or away, we make our aim to please him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And someone's going to say, wait a minute, what do you mean judgment seat of Christ? That's not the great white throne judgment. See, there is a judgment even for us as believers. He will not be judging us for our sin. He will not be judging us and condemning us. Instead, it's a judgment of rewards. That's why we need to be living for for him. So that one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. It's not casting someone into hell. It's a judgment that will take place for, for believers. Philippians chapter 1, verse 23, or verse 21, to start with, Paul writes these words. By the way, he's wrestling with the possibility, real possibility of being put to death when he writes these. He said, for me to live is Christ. In other words, if I'm staying here and I'm serving Christ, that's good. It's Christ. In other words, that's what I'm here for. That's why I'm alive to serve him. But look what Paul says. And to die is what? What does he say? Gain. For a Christian, dying is gain. For a Christian, things get better. <laughs> things are picking up for a Christian when a Christian dies. And then he said in verse 23, my desire, what he would prefer to do, even though he knew it might be needful to stay here and serve Christ, he said, my desire is to depart and be with Christ for, for that is far better for me. Give me a full definition of that three-letter word, far if if they are i mean exactly where does it begin how far does it go (laughs) so when paul's saying it's far better it's like there's not really a definition he's just saying to be with christ is far better it's better than anything in this world you can live the very best life and have all the luxuries and everything that this world might have to offer and if you're a christian it's still far better to get out of here and go to be with jesus What happens when you die, if you're a Christian, it is far better on the other side of death than it is in this life. And there's a lot of scriptures I could read, but I want to jump ahead into Revelation. In Revelation, we see these words in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. You've been listening to the news. We could use a new one, couldn't we? (laughs) And the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city of New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Aren't you looking forward to that? 
and he will dwell with them. What happens when you die? For a believer, this is what happens when you die. You get to dwell with him. We'll be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Keep reading. And he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. Anything that ever caused you to cry, anything that ever caused you pain, physical, emotional, whatever, he's going to eradicate it. He'll wipe away every tear from our eyes. Death's not going to happen. You won't be going to any more funerals, any more visitations, seeing any loved ones or friends die. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying or pain anymore. No physical pain. No reason to be mourning. No reason to be, be crying. No emotional pain. He's going to wipe it all away. For the former things have passed away. Thank God. Amen. That's ultimately what happens for a person when they have faith in Jesus when they die. Now, I told you there are two possibilities. One was to go to hell. One is to be separated from God for all eternity. The second one is to be in God's presence for all eternity. And with what I just read, to me that sounds a little bit better than hell. How about you? Sound better? But what I want to close with is the very important point that you need to be be thinking about and considering right now. What happens when you when you die is based upon who you trust in before you die. What happens when you die depends upon who you trust before you die. Remember what I said earlier, you can't reboot after you die. You can't fix things after you die. You can't back up and get a mulligan. You can't respawn. You can't reboot. You can't do anything like that after you die. It's too late after you die. Remember the rich man and Lazarus? It was too late for the rich man after he died. He started kind of recognizing some things and saying, well, you know, come and help me out. Cool my tongue with some water. Send Lazarus here who I ignored all my life, who I could have helped. Send him here to help me. Have mercy on me. So there's no mercy in a place called hell. There's no chance to get mercy. There's no chance to back up and get a redo and fix things. So what happens when you die depends upon who you believe in before you die. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God, in other words, how to be right with God, has been manifest, it's been put on display apart from the law. In other words, you can't work your way to heaven. You can't be good enough. It's not by obeying the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God, how to be right with God, happens like this. It's through faith in Jesus Christ for all who do what? What does it say? Believe. For there is no distinction. For all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. We're all lost. We all deserve to go to Hades and Gehenna. That's what we deserve. For all the sin and fall show the glory of God and are justified 
We are made just like we never sinned by His grace, by God's unmerited favor, as a gift, as a free gift. There's not anything you can do to earn it. Through the redemption, here's why that can happen. Through the redemption, through the price that Jesus Christ paid for you on the cross. Whom God put forward as a propitiation, as payment by His blood, paying for us in our sins by His blood, to be received by faith. What happens when you die is dependent upon who you believe in before you die. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Through faith in Jesus, God justifies us, makes us lost sinners just like we've never sinned. He proclaims us to be innocent by His grace, His unmerited favor as a gift. And that's possible because of the redemption, the price that Jesus paid for our sins on the cross for us to receive by faith. Now, I want to give you a warning before we kind of get on down to the invitation time. Just in case you're someone that thinks you're very special and you think somehow you don't need Jesus and somehow you don't need to confess Jesus and you're not going to bow to him, you've deluded yourself into believing that somehow you're going to make it past judgment. Paul writes these words in Philippians 2, verse 8 through 11. He's talking about Jesus and he says, after being found in human form, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that's above every name. Then I want you to notice this, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In other words, everybody... Everybody, everybody, every atheist, every agnostic, everybody one day in the future will bow their knee and they will confess with their tongue that Jesus is who he said he was. That Jesus is Lord. But the only way it helps you is if you do it on this side of death. Because the other side of death, you're doing it because you have to do it. There's no choice. You're recognizing he's who he said he is. And then you're in hell for all eternity. What happens when I die? What happens when you die? What happens when we die? I know a lot of people have different opinions, and you may be someone that's sitting there with a different opinion. And I know it's not the normal thing anymore, and we might ought to change that because Jesus talked a whole lot about hell. I know it's not the normal thing to hear things that are uncomfortable, (laughs) like hell. And yet it's the truth, because this is our authority. I don't know if you've been listening to the news this week, but in the news this week, uh, there have been some protests on some of the higher learning colleges, upper echelon colleges in America, saying that they do not want any thought taking place or any speech taking place on the campus that threatens their feelings. 
I'm sorry, I thought a place of higher education was supposed to challenge you to think. That you were supposed to be confronted with other philosophies and other ideas. You see, that's the same thing almost as going communistic and saying, I don't want the freedom of speech unless it's my speech and what I believe. So I'm not trying to be uncomfortable with you today. I'm just trying to tell you the truth. You see, God doesn't hate you. God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. That's why he put his son on the cross. But there's only two options, eternity with God or eternity separated from God. We're going to have the invitation. Um, John's going to come on out and while I finish talking, reading through some verses. And then we're going to have an invitation time. And I, I hope if you don't know Christ as your Savior, you will not risk missing heaven in eternity with God and go to a place separated from God for all eternity. Hebrews 9 says this, For Christ has entered not in the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things. In other words, Jesus didn't go to the tabernacle. Jesus didn't go to the temple that men built to offer his blood. Instead, he went to heaven. Those things were just a type or a picture of heaven itself. Jesus went there to appear before the presence of God, the Father, on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year that with blood not of his own. You see, Jesus went there with his own blood once and for all. But then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. That's the way the sacrificial system worked. But Jesus fulfilled that sacrificial system. Let's keep reading. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. That's what Jesus did on the cross. Once and for all, paying for our sin. And just as it is appointed for a man to die once and after that comes the judgment. We're talking about what happens after you die. Judgment. So Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. He's already saved us from the penalty of sin. He's coming to save us one day from the very presence of sin and the very power of sin to be with him forever. In Hebrews 10, it says this, anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. In other words, if someone was rejecting the law, things written in a book, God's book, but they're rejecting the law, they could be punished at the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has spurned the Son of God and who has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified in his outrageous spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I'll repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. If someone is going to be judged because they rejected the law, 
Imagine how much more the punishment is for someone who rejected, who rejected, who rejects Jesus Christ, who God put on the cross and spurns that influence in their life. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of God, especially if you don't know Christ as your Savior. Let's pray. Father, God, I pray that you deal with hearts right now. If there's anyone here who's never trusted in Jesus, help them to see how much you love them, enough to send your son to die on the cross. Jesus took hell for us on the cross. Father, there's someone here that's never trusted in him. I pray you give them the faith to say yes to Jesus, to believe in Him. Father, there are many philosophies in the world. But for us as Christians, the authority is Your Word. And You tell us there's only two possibilities. With You forever or separated from You forever. So Father, anyone that doesn't know You, please, please draw them to Yourself. And God, those who have already trusted in you, help us during this time of invitation to be ever so thankful for your grace, ever so thankful for your mercy, ever so thankful for your Son on the cross, that we don't have to go to a place called hell. But Father, at the same time, burden our hearts for lost friends and lost family members. And help us to share your truth Help us to share with them that you're the way, you're the truth, you're the life. Before it's eternally too late. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Next week, the title of the message is, Do You Have True Life? I I hope if you've got lost family members and friends under the reminder of the reality of hell, Jesus said it was real. That you do all that you can between this Sunday and next Sunday to get someone to come with you that doesn't know Jesus. Because we're going to talk about whether they have true life or not and how to have true life. The week after that, we're going to talk about how to live for God, how to live for Jesus on the other side of trusting Him. Jesus himself, Jesus, said hell's a real place. And he died on the cross, so you don't have to go there. Please be serious and sensitive to the Holy Spirit during this song. And if God draws you to come and pray, maybe he wants you to come pray for a lost family member, for a lost friend. Or if you yourself are lost and he's drawing you to faith in Him. Why not come during this time? Please stand. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at Day 3 Church dot org.
Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.